Family is a blessing. And, uh, it's great to have. So we're continuing with our summer series this morning. With uh, the title is "Whom Am I?" or "Who Am I?" The question of our of our identity. Today we'll be looking at uh, "You Are a Saint." Last week Bob preached. I, I, feel, I sound like I'm getting a background. Is is? Am I, huh? Is it loud? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I don't know if I'm hearing it off the speakers behind me or that that sounds better thank you is that better okay so last week bob preached on uh, you are justified and explained that god is holy and because he's holy that he has righteous anger towards sin he has to he wouldn't be god if he didn't have this he can't accept sin any sin all sin And he pours his wrath out against it. And one day it will be completely destroyed. All sin will be destroyed forever. I don't think there's any way that we with our human minds can even understand what that means and what that will look like. But I am looking forward to seeing what it looks like. You know, the the effects of sin is not just you making bad decisions or someone else doing something that they shouldn't do or you having a bad thought. Sometimes it's just the effects of sin is our decaying body, having cancers, no cause of your own. It's just the, the body is... Fading, the body is is susceptible to disease and sicknesses. Some of the things that we deal with, it, it's uh, sometimes it just it's hard to even try to understand it, with the exception of understanding that sin has entered the world with Adam and Eve, and the results of that sin is that all of us sin. And that all of us are dying. We've all sinned, therefore we all face the same horrible conclusion in life. And that's eternal death and separation from God. If something doesn't take place. Christian theologian J.I. Packer in his book, Concise Theology, which I, I checked, we do have one more volume out there if you uh, are looking for a good book on basic theology. It's not basic knowledge because he is a pretty deep thinker, but it is a concise uh, answer to a lot of theological questions. But in his book, Concise Theology, he defined justification as a judicial act of God pardoning sinners, accepting them as just and so putting permanently right their previously estranged relationship with himself. So there was something that had to take place for God to accept us because of our sins 
And he did that. This justifying sentence is God's gift of righteousness. It's his bestowal bestowal of a status of acceptance for Christ's sake. He did it because of Christ's work. Paul wrote in Romans 3.22 and 3.24, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It was the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his life and resurrection that provides the justification and the acceptance of that sacrifice on our behalf when God saves us. This justification is only accomplished in the lives of those who God saves, but is more than adequate and covers fully the sins of all those that he saves. When he saves a person, God addresses that person's sins by his acceptance of the death of his son on the cross. And the righteousness of Christ is reckoned to that person's account. There then, that person is then at peace with God. That's a good position to be in. Things are settled between them for a Christian is reconciled to God. Before salvation, you are at odds with God. In fact, Scripture uses even stronger terms. You're his enemy. But through justification, you are at peace and reconciled with him. When this takes place, you are indeed a child of God. And the New Testament writers would identify you as a saint. Now this is not a title that we would normally address another Christian by today. Nor is it one that I would usually identify myself by. Because I know myself. I know my heart. The Catholic Church has not done Christendom any favors when they decided that in their eyes a saint was someone that they deemed worthy and exceptional in the eyes of the church and canonized them as a saint. This is foreign to scriptures. We unfortunately also have accepted this distortion to the word saint. As an example, would you have any idea who I was speaking about if I was to ask you if you knew who Maywin Sukat of England was? Wow, you're actually nodding your head. Yeah, there's always got to be one of you, isn't there? (laughs) Probably not, unless you're (laughs) sitting up here. But if I was to say St. Patrick, you would probably instantly recognize him as the patron saint of Ireland. And uh, more importantly, the reason why we have corned beef and cabbage in 
on St. Patty's Day. But we even accept that title uh, when we speak. I mean, I, I went on a trip to Ireland, and when you talk about St. Patrick, everybody knows who you're talking about, and that's his name. That's the name that was given. However, biblically, sainthood is not an attainment. It is a state into which God, in grace, calls men and women. It's an appropriate title for all believers because a believer is sanctified. The Vines Expository Dictionary of Biblical Words says sanctification is thus the state predetermined by God for believers into which in grace he calls them and in which they begin their Christian course and so pursue it. The word that is used in the New Testament for saints is taken from the, the word that translates from the Greek for holy or holiness. Again, a reason why I don't know that I would necessarily introduce myself as St. Brad to anybody unless I was looking for them to, to fall on the floor and laugh. In fact, it is also used in the Old Testament when persons or items were sanctified or set apart by God as by man, such as the priest, those who were being brought into the priesthood. Remember, they were set aside. They were sanctified. The tabernacle, the altar, garments, property, number of things, people, things that were set aside. For God's purposes, and they're set aside for that exclusive use and purpose of God. That's the idea behind it. In the New Testament, it signifies being separated from sin and consecrated to God. This is why saints are called the called out ones who make up God's church. We were called out from that life of sin and brought into a new community, a new life. You can be called a saint because you are a child of God and you have already been and are being sanctified. There is a sanctification that takes place when you are regenerated or when you're saved. God permanently sets you apart for himself at a particular moment in your Salvation. Don't know exactly how that works or when. We just know that it happens. And that's because He, through Christ, purchased and claimed us for Himself with His Son's blood. We are justified in God's sight. This doesn't mean that we will never sin again. Because we haven't been removed from this life and glorified yet. That's the blessed hope. That's what we're looking forward to when we finally leave this decaying body and are glorified and put in the glorified body that God will give us in the next life. That will come upon your death or 
Christ's return, whichever happens first. We are perfect in terms of our present standing before God. But we are still far from perfect in our thoughts and acts. This is one of those Christian mysteries or scriptural mysteries, if you will. We are, but yet we are being. We are sanctified. We are perfect in our standing with Him, but then there's other parts that things are still being done until we are finally in our glorified bodies. Sanctification is important to us because through the act of sanctification, we have divinely wrought character change freeing us from sinful habits and forming us into Christ-like affections, dispositions, and virtues, as J.I. Packer states in his book. You can call this work of God relational sanctification. That's the one that happens upon you being saved. It's accomplished only and totally by God. It's permanent. It can't be taken away from you and you can't lose it. Nor is it dependent on any human actions or noble acts to try to attain it. Because you can't. You can never live in a manner that would earn sanctification on your own. You cannot do anything to obtain it. But this relational sanctification is not the end. We are perfect in standing with God, but that's not, that's not all. It doesn't mean that once you're saved that everything now is going to be done for you. That all these things are going to just start dropping in your lap. That life becomes easy now. That you don't deal with temptation and sin. That you don't deal with hardship in life. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you don't have responsibilities as a believer that you're supposed to be doing. If you're saved, an early sign of God's saving work in your life is a dissatisfaction with sin in your life. Before you became a Christian, you probably did things that didn't really ring any bells in your moral uh, outlook on life. But then you became a Christian. All of a sudden, some of those things that you were doing bothered you. Maybe you didn't even know fully why. But that's good. That's a good sign. And you have a desire to strive for holiness as a believer. You want to live a life that's pleasing to God. You may not know how to do that yet as a new believer but you desire it. You know that's what you want. God calls all His people to holiness. Why? Because He is holy. 
Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 with me. I'll have you join me in a few readings. First Peter chapter one, uh, verse fourteen. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, and you also be holy, in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So we're called to be holy in our conduct and how we live in the things that we do. We're to be holy. But how do we do this if we're still in the flesh? Even the Apostle Paul admits his struggles with this when in Romans 7 he said, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not... I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. You ever been in that position? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That it is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. This is the Apostle Paul talking. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul has the desire in his life to be holy. But he knows that he still struggles with the flesh, as we all do. And it is a battle that we have to have with the flesh. That is part of the responsibility that as Christians we have. Holiness is a goal to strive toward in the Christian life. We want to be holy. We want to live in a way that is holy and pleasing to God. And even though we know we can never fully reach it in the flesh, it is a goal that we should be seeking. It is, a, it is a race we should be running. And we should be doing this until the end. I think this is partly what is thought or as being thought of when you think about getting to the... The, the next life with 
God and He looks at you and tells you, well done. I think that's part of what that is. That you were struggling and striving and endeavoring diligently to live a life that was worthy of your calling. James Montgomery Boyce describes this as an outward standard of morality coupled with an internal conformity to the will and mind of God. That's what this looks like, this, this, this race that we have, this, this ongoing battle we have. Paul told the Philippian saints that he strives for holiness even though he has not accomplished it yet. Look at Philippians 3. This is the reading I did in the beginning of the service. So Paul knows what he should be striving towards and he knows that he still struggles with the flesh. But listen to how he addresses it. He doesn't address it in a manner that, you know, I I keep trying to do what I'm supposed to do, but I just can't seem to accomplish anything, so I just gave up. It's just too hard. Dealing with that temptation, dealing with that particular sin, dealing with that particular issue, I I tried. I just couldn't do it. So I just gave up. You're not going to find that with the Apostle Paul. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul understands his permanent position before God. He he well understands that permanent position. He knows that he is secure in God. And obviously, he has reached a significant level of spiritual maturity in his life. This is the Apostle Paul. Large volume of the New Testament is written by Paul through the Holy Spirit's guidance. But he's also aware of the necessary growth and holiness that still lays before him. Even with what he's already accomplished, he knows that he still has work to do to bring sin in his flesh into conformity. It's lifelong. It doesn't end until it ends. God, in His wisdom, has made the process of sanctification with two steps, if you will. 
But even in doing that, it involves and requires the indwelling and the work of the Holy Spirit to carry it out. Again, one of those mysteries that you're like, how exactly does this work out? I don't know. Maybe put that on that list of things to ask Jesus when we finally can ask him some questions. But how do you sanctify? How do you, how do you tell me I need to do this? And there's things and striving I have to do, but yet I can't do it without you helping me to accomplish it. It's a mystery. But he accomplishes, both he accomplishes, but the second, um, the first one, uh, both, in both of them, God accomplishes. The first one is all God. God is the one who, who, who sanctifies you and puts you in that relational position with him. And then the second one, he does it, but he has you working to carry it out. Turn to Galatians 5. Let's look at a couple more verses. This is to help at least see that it's you with the Holy Spirit working through you to do it. Um, Verse 16 of uh, Galatians 5. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So he's telling us to do something, to walk by the Spirit, but yet in that comes the understanding that to walk in the Spirit, we have to have Him involved with us. We don't walk in the Spirit otherwise. And by walking in the Spirit, that helps us to be able to not gratify the desires that we have in the flesh. Turn to Ephesians 5. Verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So we're being told to to be like God, to be imitators, to live like Him in the sense of seeking that holiness, striving towards that holiness. I mean, we can't be God, of course, but imitators of God. But again, there's no way we can do this without the help of the Holy Spirit to be able to accomplish it. Before you were saved, you didn't even have the ability to do it. After you were saved, the Holy Spirit indwelled us. He's changed our minds and our hearts. And he makes it now where we are able 
to seek to do these things and to, to do them. Ephesians 6, the next chapter over, verse 11. Familiar passage. Put on the whole armor of God, now that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Again, putting something on, doing something, our involvement, we're told, we're told to put it on. We're not being told that, you know what, don't worry about that temptation because the Holy Spirit already threw that, brace, that breastplate on. You're, you're taken care of. You've got the sword in your hand, just swing it. You'll be okay. No. We're being told, you put the armor on. There's something you have to do. How many of us know what the armor is? How many of us are trying to fight the battles of life and you don't even know what weapons are at your disposal? No wonder we don't have victory. These verses make it seem that we have certain abilities and actions that we take in life to work towards the goal of holiness. And obviously there is. There's things we're supposed to do. But it's essential to understand that it requires God working in us. And we being obedient and diligent in our efforts. It's not easy. It's not going to be without strife and heartache and defeat and injury. But we're to continue striving. We're to continue doing it. We can't do this in our own strength, yet we're told that we have to do these things. Probably the best verses to help us to to see this is in Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but more, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now this in itself can be a a verse that comes to mind or you read it and you go, huh? Work out my salvation? I thought salvation was by God alone. Faith alone. And you would be correct if that's what you were thinking. But we are to work out our salvation, but it is God who is working it out in you. So there's that mystery in there. Something we're doing, but he's doing it. And he's accomplishing it. Now this is not working out your salvation as if there's something that you can do to earn or accomplish it. But it's as if Paul is saying to the Philippians, since since you are saved, remember he's writing to Jewish Christians here, to the saints, Since you are saved and the Holy Spirit is in you and he's giving you power 
And he's at work conforming you to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you must work hard to be able to express the fullness of this great reality in your conduct. That's what he's saying. But even as you do this, God is the one who's working to accomplish it again. Very important to understand. The the tense in Philippians 2.12 there is a command that has continual emphasis. It's something that we're commanded to do. It's not an option if you're a Christian. But it's also a continual emphasis. It means it's ongoing. never stops. keeps going. It's a continual, sustained effort. And this is done by and in our personal conduct. It involves one choosing to live righteously. To work out their their salvation in daily life. While at the same time realizing that all the power for that obedience comes from God's Spirit. It also requires perseverance. We don't know how long we we live and maybe God blessed you early in life of becoming a Christian. You can't give up halfway to to the baton or to the end. It's a continual, lifelong, consistent race. Faithful, obedience to the end. That is what we should be seeking and looking for. John MacArthur says, Scripture teaches that there are three time dimensions to salvation. Past, present, and future. The past dimension is that of justification. When believers place their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and we're redeemed. The present dimension is sanctification. That's what we're in now, if you're a believer. That's the time between a believer's justification and his death or Christ's return. The future aspect is glorification. When salvation is completed and believers receive their glorified bodies. Believers, therefore, have been saved, are being saved, and will be saved. That is an appropriate way to address the Christian life. They are to pursue sanctification in this life to the time of glorification. So wrapping this up, because uh, I want you to walk away with it. Three things uh, to think about, hopefully take away today. First of all, that you are a saint. If you've been saved, you can call yourself a saint. 
Because you have been and you are being sanctified. So that name is okay. Prepare me before you say it, but uh, so I don't laugh or anything, but it, it is okay to use it. You are perfect in terms, number two, you are perfect in terms of your present standing before God, but you're still far from perfect in your thoughts and actions. Probably don't have to be reminded of that. This is relational sanctification. And lastly, that you are continually, you are to continually strive to work out your salvation and the power and strength of the Holy Spirit trying to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And I've always heard this identified as progressive sanctification, if you have to have a title for it. God is good. He's not only redeemed us, but he is conforming conforming us into the likeness of his son. He not only has things that we're supposed to be doing but he helps us to accomplish it. And I hope that this is something that helps you to be able to more fully review your current circumstances in life and in your Christian walk and maybe seek to do something different if necessary. Thank you this morning. We've gone a little bit long. We'll Go ahead and shift into uh, uh, the uh, communion. Um, Afterwards, if uh, any of you have anything you'd like to to have me pray for you about or you have questions about any of this, feel free to come up and grab me afterwards. I'll be here for a little bit. There's refreshments afterwards. I know a number of people probably have 